the administration, so I thought it was important to have Frank here to speak to us this morning. Frank's a graduate of University of Illinois at Urbana-Champaign. He joined the Florida DOT as a PE trainee in 1986 and held various positions within the construction department. Since then, he was appointed to district construction engineer for District 5, and he covers portions of Central Florida. So, Frank, I'll turn it over to you. Thank you, Brian. And uh, can you all hear me in back? Okay. Welcome to District 5. You probably, uh, our out-of-state visitors probably didn't know you're in the middle of District 5 from the Florida Department of Transportation. Um, Brian said, uh, I got to speak, get a lot of information out in a little bit of time, so we'll see how I can do it. Uh, practice, and this should run about 12 minutes, so it's either going to go about 4 minutes or about 24 minutes. So, uh, you know how that works. But, uh, going to talk a little bit about innovative strategies that we're trying to simplify contract administration. I want to talk a little bit about what our motivation was to, to, to try these things, um, give you an example of some of the things we are doing to simplify both the payments, the contract administration side, as well as looking at simplifying the materials aspects. And then I'm briefly going to talk to you about a concept we're trying called witness and hold. For any DOT folks, the motivation for trying to simplify things uh, will sound familiar maybe, but we were definitely experiencing some spiraling costs. In the 2005-2006 time frame, we saw our prices go through the roof, and we, we certainly weren't uh, prepared for it. Uh, sometimes we would be getting bids from only two, one, sometimes no contractors at all on some of these projects, and the bids we were getting were extremely high. So we talked to the contractors and tried to find out what was going on. And uh, the contractors, much to our chagrin, told us we weren't uh, an owner of, of choice. You know, if they could choose between working for the DOT or working for this private developer, they would go work for the private developer. And the reason was is, is we had a bunch of complex rules. And during that time, there was a lot of competition. So if they w had to make a choice, they would take the simpler route. We also, in the early 2000s, went to contractor quality control. That shifted a lot of the responsibilities that used to be the DOT's CEI function over to the contractor, and I think we are finally seeing the real costs of some of those efforts as well. As well. So what we did is we, we wanted to look at where can we simplify some, some aspects to make us a more attractive owner to the contractors without jeopardizing quality. I mean, the, the reality is, is a developer is much less concerned about what his development is going to look like in 10 years uh, than we are. We're concerned about the long haul. So everything we looked at, uh, we kept the quality of the project as number one. But what we did notice is we had quite a bit of projects, uh, smaller projects, projects under $2 million, that from a specification standpoint and a contract administration standpoint, we treated just like a $150 million project. And so we thought maybe it would be worthwhile to look at these smaller projects and, and take some, some some risks. We picked the number two million. Uh, at the time, in around 2005, 2006, probably half of our projects were under two million dollars at the time. And uh, sometimes as, as things move forward, the, you, you, things go in cycles. And if you've been with the department, your, your agency a long time, you see you go through these cycles. Well, back when I first started in the mid-80s, we had a concept called mini-contracts. 
and that concept started to sound real good again i think what happens over time is we try to simplify things by making them uniform and we tend to take a one size fits all approach and when you do that over time you tend to pick the more stringent requirement and i think that's what happened to us so uh, the, the mini contract concept is kind of what we took and, and wanted to explore a little bit and looking at a streamlined or mini contract on the payment side of things, what we said is on, on certain projects, projects under $2 million, let's just make them all either lump sum or plan quantity. And I'll explain a little bit what we consider plan quantity in a minute. There'd be no pay adjustments. Anyone who works with asphalt knows that composite pay factors, there's a series of, of complicated adjustments that have to be made. And in the end, the results are, are not much different. So. On these smaller projects, why not just eliminate all those pay adjustments? Another thing that we spend a lot of time on is, is measuring things. And, and on these lump sum projects, we just wanted to have the contractor submit invoices to us. Lump sum contracts, uh, we have been using them pretty aggressively here in, in, dist in District 5. Certain districts in the Florida DOT use them a lot more than others. What I have found, and I think what most of the districts have found, is they can be very successful. You just have to make sure you pick the right project. A bridge rehabilitation project is not the right project for lump sum. Any project that, tends, that could potentially have some variables, you don't want to go lump sum. But we have a lot of mill and resurface, small bridges, uh, small intersection projects where a lump sum project works just fine. We've noticed significantly reduced administrative costs on the construction side. And our time and cost overruns have really been reduced. Hopefully these numbers aren't too small for you to see. But this is for the fiscal year that just ended in June 2000 and 2008. And last year, the Department of Transportation in Florida, we paid off 440 contracts. 98 of those contracts, or about a quarter of them, were lump sum projects. Our lump sum projects are a little smaller than our average contract, as you can see, but the significant difference there is on the time overruns and cost overruns. On our over overall contracts, our time overruns are around over 13%, and on our lump sum contracts, it's less than, uh, less than two tenths of a percent. Cost overruns on regular contracts is almost 6%, and on lump sum projects, we actually um, ended up with a little bit of a credit. Another concept that we're looking at or use uh, quite a bit on these smaller contracts is if we can't go lump sum, we use a concept called plan quantity. And plan quantity basically is you have the contractor bid the units, you give them units, and uh, you pay what you pay the plan amount unless there's a significant change. Why that's a benefit to us is we don't have to measure anything unless we make a change to the contract. And then if there is a change, if we eliminate some work or add some work, the field folks uh, have a much easier time negotiating the change because there's already an existing unit price. So that's kind of like a hybrid between a traditional unit price contract or a lump sum contract. The whole concept on these, uh, these uh, payment aspects have cut our administrative costs considerably because we don't have to measure everything and uh, we don't have to perform complicated price adjustments. 
Another area where we're trying to simplify the contract administration and make it easier for our contractor as well is on the materials side of things. I told you we shifted contractor quality control. A lot of, uh, a lot of things went over to the contractor. A lot of the paperwork went over to the contractor as well. So these two things, uh, our, our goal was to eliminate the contractor's uh, burden in that area. And on these small projects, the contractor performs as normal QC, but the department then has a choice of whether to perform their, their QA, uh, and it just depends on conditions. If things look like they're going fine and, and we have no reason to believe that there's anything wrong, we may not perform any QA or independent verification passes. Materials will either pass or fail, and if they're failed, they're out. Unless uh, both parties can agree, the contractor may be able to make a proposal to leave them in place at no pay, but we don't have a complicated set of price adjustments to make. On a, on a bigger picture, um, I told you before that sometimes the department tries to implement a one-size-fits-all strategy. And with materials, there's no difference there. If, if we're going to pour concrete, uh, we found ourselves in the place of treating minimal concrete the same as a, as a bridge deck. And, and we all know that the, the risk if a concrete sidewalk fails is much less than if a, a bridge deck fails. So we went back and our materials office looked at uh, reducing restrictions to make us a more, uh, make it more palatable for contractors to work for us. And so what we did is we looked at uh, reduced testing on asphalt of lower levels. Level, traffic level A and B and the low volumes of traffic level C, we reduced the requirements for testing. We've adjusted those material properties to accept a, a lesser quality, but at no risk because there are such low volumes. In the concrete area, we've loosened the material requirements on class one and, cla and non-structural class two concrete, as well as for all mixes, uh, made some changes to reduce the restrictions. Embankment, non-traffic areas, we've allowed the contractors to come up with rolling patterns. Uh, we've allowed them to go to thick lift without doing complicated test sections, and we've simplified our lot definitions. So the whole concept there is to ease the contractor's burden uh, on these streamlined contracts. And the, the, the object there is contracts $2 million and less, uh, not a lot of asphalt, not a whole lot can go wrong. If something does go wrong, it won't be a huge risk to the department. Another concept that we're looking at or trying is, is called witness and hold. And I'll equate this to uh, if, you're, if you're building a house, uh, the county doesn't have an inspector there all day long watching your contractor build the work. But there's certain points where the contractor has to wait and an inspector has to come and check off and sign off. So the, the thoughts of witness and hold is we reduce our contract inspection costs by changing our specs to require our presence only at predefined points. And to make up for the lack of certainty with not having a person there all the time, we require a five-year warranty on the work. Here's just an example of what, what we did with the specifications. Every item in the spec book was gone through with the State Materials Office and State Construction Office and they identified certain activities that had to be witnessed by the department where an inspector had to be physically there watching or other items were hold items where the contractor could get to a certain point but he couldn't proceed until the inspector signed off. We've only tried these in a, in a few limited cases and I think we really need to expand a pilot uh, to, to see if it's very effective. We have definitely run into some difficulties with our contractors on these extended, you know, five-year warranty to a contractor is a big deal, so we have to work on that a little bit. 
And personally, what I think what we're going to see is, is rather than a, a whole separate witness and hold type of project, we'll see some of these um, ideas incorporated into all of our projects, where the contractor may, on all our projects, have to stop at a certain time until uh, the, the inspector signs off. I don't necessarily see, see it evolving as a whole separate specification, but that'll take time. If you have any questions, and I, I know I went through a lot in a short period, uh, my information is up there. And we will hold the questions until the end, so don't worry. We can stay on time. We'll have time for questions. Time. We'll have time for questions. Time.